Thank you for listening to First Baptist Church of Conway. It's our prayer that this message is both an encouragement and a challenge to you as you grow in faith. As we all move forward in light of COVID-19, we want to encourage you to make a priority of joining us in person for worship. Because as you know, listening to a podcast can never replace the need we all have for fellowship and corporate worship. So we look forward to seeing you soon. In the meantime, here is this week's message. I'm glad to be here with you this morning as we continue our Christmas series titled uh, Wish List. Each year during this time, we're consumed uh, with wish lists, trying to gather together what it is uh, to, to buy the loved ones, our friends. Um, and so we're just consumed with thinking about what other people want. In fact, we're consumed with thinking about what we want so we can express to people the things that they can buy that we just won't throw in a closet somewhere. How many of y'all just throw half the stuff you get for Christmas in a closet somewhere? Oh, y'all are going to be honest this morning? Yes, you do. We all do. We, we throw stuff in the Christmas, so I mean, in the closet that we get. So we're consumed with this wish list to try to get it right this year. And so instead of talking about what it is we want and what other people want, we're going to sit and talk for a couple weeks about what it is that God's want, what God wants. Because as we learned last week, that God doesn't need ever, anything. Everything is already his, but God wants things. And the things that God wants are specifically designed for us. So God wants something for us, but he doesn't need anything from us. That's the big truth I hope that sinks in this Christmas season, that God doesn't need anything from you, but God wants something for you. Last week, we learned that God wants you to experience an abundant life in Jesus Christ. We learned that Jesus is the good shepherd, right? Jesus is the one talked about in Psalm 23. He is the one who wants an intimate relationship with us. He wants to lead us. He wants to guide us towards this overflowing type of life. Remember, we learned God isn't the cosmic killjoy, but rather God wants to kill those things in you that wants to take the joy away from you. And in Christ, we can figure out and learn what it truly means to be human. In Christ, we can figure out what it truly means to serve and please God. So this Christmas season, we remember that while Christ came to us in the manger, he didn't stay that way, right? He grew up to be our good shepherd, our leader, our Lord. Today, we're going to talk about the simple fact that God wants you and me to experience hope. Experience hope. You see, during this season, we all focus on what's called the Christmas spirit. We're supposed to be cheerful. We're supposed to be delightful. We're supposed to be somehow overly optimistic about life during Christmas. Y'all ever felt like you're supposed to feel that way? Or you're just supposed to be happy and cheerful? That's what the movies say anyways. And that's great, and it's, it's a good thing to be. But what a lot of times we don't talk about is the overwhelming sadness that accompanies the holiday season. The overwhelming sadness that accompanies us all during the holiday seasons. You see, what's common to all of us is as we gather together with our friends and family, we immediately remember and are reminded about the people who aren't with us this season. For me, growing up, I always saw my grandma during Christmas season. Every Christmas Eve, we'd, we'd see my grandma, and while it was a great tradition, every Christmas season, I am reminded that I'm not going to see my nanny this year, and that's hard. In fact, anytime I go back home, you know, I went back home for Thanksgiving and for whatever reason, nostalgia, I guess, I drive around and I think that my kids want to see all the places I used to live. Y'all ever do that to your kids? 
I just point out all the places I got in trouble, all the things I used to do. And every time we go past my grandma's house, I get pretty angry that someone's living there that's not supposed to live there. I'm like, they're intruders. I'm supposed to be able to just walk in that house whenever I want in the most awkward times because my grandma doesn't care. Right? I can do that. And so every time we drive by that house, it's so awkward not pulling in the driveway, not walking in the door and saying hi. So I'm reminded of my grandma. See, during the holidays, we will all experience a very real sadness about the people who aren't with us this year. But Christmas reminds us that we have hope. Christmas, we need to be reminded that we will see our loved ones again, those in Jesus Christ, and we have this hope because of Jesus Christ. Today, we're going to talk about the end times. We're going to talk about the resurrection. And I know many of you are going to be excited about this. You've asked about this. You said, Brian, you know, I want to hear about end times. So we're going to talk about it. Today during Christmas, right, kind of awkward and weird. I know, it's, it, that's what makes it even more fun. We're going to talk about the rapture. We're going to talk about Christ coming back. And I'm going to explain to you uh, where I land on these topics now, with that, I'm already anticipating some of you disagreeing with me on how I think the end time thing's going to play out. And I know many of you are experts, and you could teach the Apostle Paul and Jesus what's supposed to happen. I know you're out there, and that's okay. You guys just got this stuff ironed out. And I know that. It's okay. And so here's what I want you to do. If you find yourself you know, a little upset or disagreeing, and you're like, Brian, that's not how the end times are going to work out. Here's what I want you to do. You can write this down. You can email all your concerns to Scott... At fbcconway.org, you see Scott's in seminary right now. And I think it would be so helpful for you to take him out to lunch. You get him ironed out. Where are you at, Scott? Did you leave? He's around here somewhere. Oh, he's back there. He's dug down. You take Scott out to lunch. You iron it out with him. Explain to him how it's all going to work. And he'll, of course, come back and report it to me. So please do that if you find yourself disagreeing with me this morning. But on a serious note, I want you to lean in. I want you to hear what the Apostle Paul says and the encouragement he gives. This morning we're going to do things a little bit differently. I'm going to read this uh, couple of verses of Scripture all in one, and then we're going to go in and kind of go verse by verse and learn what Paul is teaching us. It's found in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Here's what Paul tells us. He says, Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death, so that you not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, we will certainly not precede those who have, not, who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. So this entire passage of scripture is encouragement from Paul about our hope in Jesus Christ. This entire section is pastoral in nature. He doesn't want us to be uninformed about those who have died, those who have went to sleep, as Paul calls it. He wants us to be encouraged that we will see them again. We will meet them in the air if they knew Jesus Christ. So if you've lost a loved one and you think about that this Christmas season, you can be encouraged that you will see them again. You haven't, you haven't lost them. You know where they're at. 
and you will get to see them once again. And so let's, I'm going to do my best to unpack this section with you to, to understand this hope that he gives. But the bottom line, the big takeaway I want you to learn today is that our hope, our hope, next slide, our hope in what God will do, right? That's the future. That's what's coming up. Our hope in what God will do is grounded in what he has done. This is what I want us to take away. When we think about the hope in Jesus Christ, our hope in what God will do is grounded in what he has done. What he's already done, we can have this hope. This is the key takeaway this morning. Let's jump into 1 Thessalonians 4.13. He says this. He says, brothers and sisters, that's all of us, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you will not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. What's important to understand is Paul doesn't tell us not to grieve. Grief is a common human emotion. It's okay to grieve. In fact, it's necessary to grieve. But what Paul tells us is that when we grieve, when we lose a loved one, we grieve with hope. A hope that we will see our family member once again. And he tells us why we have this hope. It's because of the gospel. Look at what he says in verse 14. He says, for we believe that Jesus died and rose again. So we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. So we believe that Jesus died and rose again. That is a shorthand way of referring to the entire gospel, the whole message, the good news of Jesus Christ, the summation of his ministry. When we say that we believe that Jesus died, we believe why he died with us, why he died for us. We are agreeing with the narrative of scripture that we are sinners, that the world is broken, that Jesus came to make that right. And so we believe that Jesus died because we've been separated separated from God because of sin. We believe he came and he died for us to fix that problem. So Jesus came, took our place on the cross so we could be forgiven from our sin. But not only did he die, he rose again. Death could not hold Jesus. You see, from the earliest testimonies of the Christian faith and the apostles, all of them talked about what they believed about Jesus. And from the earliest um, earliest writings, they all don't just talk about what he did, like just lived, and it's not really about his birth as much, but they really focus on what's very important is they all talk about this Jesus died, but he rose again. He came back to life. That's not just an add-on that someone made up. That's like the key to our entire faith. The resurrection isn't an add-on. It's the linchpin. It's the thing that holds our entire faith together. Look what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15. I hope you've heard this before. He says, if there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless. And so is your faith. If Christ hadn't been raised, your faith is useless. He says, more than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God. He says, we're liars and we're going to be condemned by God because of what we're saying. For we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But if he did not raise him, in fact, then the dead are not raised. Yeah, verse 16. Next verse. He says, for if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. 
And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ. Listen to what he's saying. This is big. If only in this life we have hope in Christ. If we're only trusting in Christ with the here and now. Like he's just this moral teacher or this good prophet or just someone who kind of teaches us to do good things. If we're only hoping in him and our morality and what, what we're doing every day, then we are all people to be most to be pitied. If we're just trusting in Christ for now, we should be pitied, Paul said. Our faith is pointless if Christ wasn't, uh, didn't rise from the grave. Meaning those people who say, well, maybe he was just a good teacher, maybe a good prophet. We like the morality from Jesus, something like that. But, but we reject that, like, that he rose from the dead or any of that spiritual stuff. If anybody talks like that or thinks like that, I'm here to tell you they miss Christianity. They miss what the earliest testimonies about him were. Because the reason why they wrote about him, the reason why they talked about him, the reason why they were so excited is because he died and then rose from the grave. And so we believe, we believe that we will have life after this life because Jesus defeated death. Our hope is tied to what Jesus did. If he was raised, then we believe we too will be raised. Our hope in what God will do is grounded in what he has done. So we believe there's more to this life because Jesus had more to life than just death. Even those who have died before us. Look at what he says back in 1 Corinthians, excuse me, 1 Thessalonians 4. He says, For we believe that Jesus died and rose again. So he attaches the gospel, this message, for our hope. So we believe that God will bring with Jesus those um, who have fallen asleep in him. Now let's go ahead and talk about the uncomfortable part in this, and that's the in him. Because Paul ties it to those who have had faith in Jesus. Christ. So what about those who've died and you're unsure about their faith? Well, Paul doesn't speak to that directly here, but I choose to take his advice, uh, his advice and still have hope. As I've told you before, as far as I know, my grandfather rejected the faith. Anytime we try to talk to him about it, he did not want to talk about it. We had a big family blow up and it, and it just got worse as he got older. But if we were to bring up the faith, he would get mad. Y'all ever been around that before? He, he would get mad. But I still choose to have hope. You see, I don't know what he did in his final moments. I have absolutely no idea if he made peace with God. And for me, I choose to have hope. And I trust God. I believe at the end of the day, God is just. I don't understand how everything works. I I don't believe I'm supposed to, but I do know in Jesus Christ, we will meet our loved ones who know Jesus Christ. And I just hope that in his final moments, I choose to believe that, right? That's a choice. I just choose to believe that in his final moments, he made a decision for Jesus. And I'm okay with that. I'm okay living with that hope. And if I can give you any advice on this subject for you here personally, I ask you, please ensure that those around you Talk to them about your faith, your friends and your family. Talk to them about what Jesus Christ means to you. Talk to them about your love for Jesus Christ. Tell them how much you love the Lord. And if you're not used to having spiritual conversations, and that's not normal for you, you didn't grow up that way, please just, just, just let it be awkward and start talking about Jesus to your family and your friends and how he's impacted you 
While it may seem awkward now, I promise you, it is the hope that they will need once you pass away. From experience, my pastoral experience, it is so sad when we have a funeral service for someone and nobody has a clue about the person's faith. What they will do, they'll talk about your work. This is the end of your life now. And the great summation is going to be your job. Right? It happens with, or your hobbies. Or they're going to crack some jokes to try to take the tension off. Happens all the time. And no matter how well you did at work, and no matter how many great hobbies you have, there will be this feeling in the entire service of hopelessness if we don't talk about your faith and your love for Jesus Christ because he is our hope. So talk about your faith. Share your faith with your friends and family. Don't assume they know. Tell them that you love Jesus. Here's what Jesus is to you. Talk about your faith. Share your faith. And so Paul explains this further and gives us some context on why he's talking about these things. Verse 15. He says, according to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. So evidently, Paul had a word from the Lord on the subject. Evidently, it was a firsthand encounter. When he talked with Jesus, he just learned this bit of information. And he said that when the Lord comes back, those who are still alive will not go before those who have died. He'll explain in a minute, but here's what the reality, here's the background that's going on, is this group of people believed that Jesus Christ could come back at any moment. They believed and lived as if Jesus could come back at any moment, at any time. And Paul says, he thinks that Paul, Jesus may come back while he's still alive. He says, and we know that when Jesus comes back, some will be alive. Paul says, hey, I think I'm still going to be alive. In fact, I believe it's the calling of all Christians to live as if Jesus Christ could come back at any moment. And this group of people believed it so fervently, they were worried. They were like, hold on, hold on. If Jesus comes back, our friends died. What happens to them? Like, he, we, we think he's going to come back. You've told us he's going to come back. We, we believe this. And so what about those who've died? They are so concerned, and we're thankful they were concerned. That's why we have these passages we've been talking about. Because they raised up this point. And so their word to say, we know Jesus could come back. And let me ask you a question. What would you do differently if you actually thought Jesus could come back at any moment? If you believed he was coming back today, what would not be important anymore? What would you be like, you know what, I wouldn't even worry about that if Jesus would come back. I would just let that go. What's so pressing that would be utterly useless? In fact, let me ask you this. If you thought Jesus Christ was coming back today, what would be unimportant, but then what would be important? How quickly could your priorities shift? How quickly would you start praying and repenting? Pretty fast, wouldn't you? You'd be like, Lord, you coming back in an hour? Here, let me tell you. Let me get all this off my chest. That dinner, that other things, those things we stress and we worry about work, that wouldn't seem important any longer. And yet, this is the urgency that the first century lived with, these Christians lived with, that he could come back at any moment. What do you think would happen, church, is if Christians today, how about just us? What if we lived like Jesus Christ could come back at any moment? We would turn the world upside down. We would absolutely turn the, say all that other stuff that we worry about, all that sin that I worry about, all that stuff that's weighing me down, that guilt and that shame, he's coming back. I'm letting that go. Let's just move on. 
Let me try to do everything I was supposed to do in this next hour, right? If that's when he's coming back. Let me get it right. It'll change your priorities. The urgency would be there for the gospel. You see, this urgency that Jesus Christ could come back at any moment is what propelled the gospel. In fact, imagine if you did that. You see, I believe we should. I believe we're called to live as if Jesus Christ could come back at any moment because he could come back at any moment. He explains this further, verse 16. He says, for the Lord himself will come down from heaven. Let's pause. says, the Lord will come off. So the picture is Christ coming back, and there's a fancy word for this called the parousia. This is the second coming of Christ, the second advent of Christ. Remember, he came once, so we know he's coming again. And this is important to understand about the second coming, is our hope is grounded. This is, keep repeating today. Our hope is grounding in what he has done. Our, excuse me, our hope and what God will do is grounded in what he has done. So this applies to the second coming of Christ as well, the resurrection and the second coming. You see, throughout the Old Testament, they believe that the Lord would come to his people. They were waiting on the Messiah, the leader, the one who would get it right and lead them to be the people they were called to be. So they're waiting on this leader, and they had the expectations that the Messiah would come, didn't know exactly what it looked like, didn't know exactly when it would happen, but they were waiting for God to send them himself, this Messiah. And this is the difference between us and Jews. Christians believe that Jesus was that Messiah. Jewish people are still waiting on their Messiah. True story, you can look it up. They're still waiting on this one to come. We believe that was Jesus Christ. And so just like back then, thousands of years ago, they were waiting on the Messiah to come. We are in a very similar position, waiting on him to return. Believing, not knowing how it's exactly going to work out, but believing that he's coming back. You see, our hope in Jesus returning is grounded in the fact that he came at Christmas. And please remember that Jesus was an actual real person in history. Jesus was a true historical figure who lived on this earth, who walked on this earth. I mean, there are true accounts. He really did come. And so because he came once, because he fulfilled all those prophecies foretold, we believe he's coming back. Just like we believe he died and rose again so we will be resurrected, we believe that just like he came once, he's coming back again. You see, our faith is deeply rooted in the things that have happened. So when Jesus Christ came once, he can come again. Jesus was resurrected, so I know we'll be resurrected. These aren't just made up things. They're all grounded in things that God has already done. The picture Paul's painting here is God, excuse me, is the return of the Lord. Let's continue. 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 through 17. He says, for the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of an archangel. What do you think that's going to sound like? Anybody have any clue? Rocky, I think you could pull that off. Let's hear what that'll sound like. No, you don't? Okay. I'm just saying you got that big voice. It'd be the closest thing we know. Okay. Voice of an archangel with the trumpet call of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be called up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Now, let's talk about this. Notice when Christ comes, there will be a loud command. The voice of an archangel. We don't know what that's like, but evidently it's going to be loud. And with the trumpet call of God. And I don't know if you've ever heard a trumpet, but trumpets aren't quiet, are they? 
And boy, yeah, trumpets are, are pretty loud. They're not quiet. And so the qualifier says a loud com- command. And the reason I bring this up is because this doesn't sound very secretive to me. It sounds pretty loud to me. Pretty robust calling. So when Paul is painting this picture, he's expressing that this is an event that the world won't miss. Archangels are yelling, trumpets are being blasted, and the Lord's coming back. And so when this happens, when this entry comes, the dead in Christ will arrive first. That is, those who have died, who believe in Jesus Christ, will be resurrected. This is speaking of a quite literal resurrection of the bodies. Did you know that this isn't, the Bible doesn't talk about just this spiritual resurrection of this quasi. It's saying that our bodies will literally be raised up. That's what first century Christians believe. This is what the Bible teaches us, that we will be raised up. Then those who are still alive will be caught up together. We will be transformed and meet them in the air. Paul tells us about this in 1 Corinthians as well. Look what he says, 1 Corinthians 15. He says, listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. So the most helpful thing to me that Paul expresses in this this verse is this word right here. What is this? Mystery. Right? That word also means secretive things. So he said, let me tell you this mystery. It's when it comes to the end times, it's okay to say we don't understand it all. Did you know that's okay to say that? It's okay to say we don't, we don't know exactly how it's going to work out. We know bits and pieces, but it's kind of a mystery. You see, Moses wrote this back a long time after this in Deuteronomy 29, 29, a long time before this. It says, the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and to our children forever that we may follow all the words of the law. So some things in our faith are just secretive. Other things have been revealed to us. It's our job to focus on the things that have been revealed, not guess the things that have been held back because they're a mystery. They're secretive. So in light of Christ's returning, in light of the resurrection, in light of the fact he's coming back, that's not a call to figure it all out. It's a call to live in holiness. It's a call to follow Jesus with our everything, living as if he could come back at any moment and we take that mission serious for Jesus Christ. But when he comes back, though a lot of the details are a mystery, to me it doesn't seem like a secretive. Let's read this one more time. 1 Thessalonians 4. It says, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. So I do not see a secretive type of thing happening here, but a very loud, triumphal entry from the king. And when all this happens, the dead will be raised. There will be a resurrection And how can that be? Well, remember, the whole idea of us being resurrected is grounded in the hope of what God has already done in Jesus Christ. Remember that. So we will be raised like Christ will be raised. Remember, the scripture teaches teaches us that God created what? Just everything, right? The scriptures teach us that God created everything. He formed us from the dust of the ground. 
We don't believe that we evolved for some things or some, some long gap period. We believe that he created humans specially designed us to be what we are. And so because God created humans from the dust of the ground, and that's the biblical creation account of what has happened, we have no problem then believing that he can recreate us from decayed bones or ashes. Does that make sense? If he can do it once from dust, guess what he can do again? He can do it again because that's the God we believe in. And why this is important is if many of you have trouble with what God claims he will do, you probably have trouble with the things he claimed to have already done. You see, this is why creation is so important to many. This is why the biblical um, reliability of the Bible is so important to many, important to me. Because we understand that our hope for the future is directly tied to the things he's already claimed to do. Because if he didn't make us and create us, then why in the world would I trust that he could remake or create us later? Does that make sense? They're all tied. It's all coming back together. Now, let's talk about this thing. We're switching topics here. Nope. Oh, go back. Yeah, let's talk about being caught up together. What is this called? What do we know this says? This is the idea of the rapture. How many of y'all have heard about the rapture before? All right, everybody. Okay, let's talk about it. So this, of course, speaks, according to Paul, that when the dead in Christ are raised, right, he'll call them up. Then we have those who are still alive will be caught up and they will meet the Lord in the air. Right, we'll be gathered together with the Lord in the air. Now, some people think the rapture is this secret event that will happen. As I talked to you a minute ago, I don't think it's secretive because there's loud trumpet calls, a voice from an archangel. Everything described in here doesn't seem to be secretive. In fact, it seems to be very loud when it happens. I know some of you have seen movies where this, all the Christians disappear and like planes are falling out of skies. Y'all seen stuff like that? Yeah, okay. Uh, I think that makes for great sci-fi types of movies or books and things like that, but it doesn't seem to be the biblical account of what's going to happen. Because the event, this is very important, the event that spurs the rapture is Jesus Christ doing what? Coming back. The great triumphal entry of Christ the King of kings, the Lord of lords, is coming down to the earth and gathering his people, resurrecting his people, and have this royal procession. You see, we're going to go out and meet the Lord in the air. We're going to be caught up with him. Now, those of you who've seen Aladdin, how many of y'all seen Aladdin? Last time I talked to Aladdin, only three of y'all. If you haven't seen Aladdin, evidently I refer to it a lot. Go watch it, okay? It's a good movie. But you remember the royal procession for Prince Ali? Do y'all remember that? I've been singing that make way for Prince Ali like all week now because I'm talking about it. It's just been stuck in my head. Remember that royal procession? He shows off his monkeys and his gold like it's this big to do. The royalty is coming. He wants to show off for Jasmine's father about how great he is. That's a royal procession. Those are common things. That's what this picture is describing, that we are going to go out. We're going to meet the Lord before he's here to then gather with him and be this royal procession when he comes to this earth. You see, this idea of meet the Lord in the air, one scholar says this. He says, to meet was almost a technical term that described the custom of sending a delegation outside the city to receive a dignitary who was on his way to town. You see, we see this in Matthew 25, 6, the bridal party who goes out to meet the groom. Look, oh, I don't have the scripture up there. It's okay. Matthew 25, 6 says, at midnight, the cry rang out, here's the bridegroom. 
come out to meet him. So this whole picture of the rapture, the resurrection of the bodies, seems to say that the Lord's coming back, because that's how Paul started it, the return of the Lord, and the dead will be raised, and the others will be raised to meet him in the air, to, to be the royal procession. So we're going to go out like, that, like we're going to go meet this someone special. Before they get to the city, we're going to be caught up in the clouds with him to then usher him back to the earth. This massive royal procession of, of billions of Christians are going to come with the Lord and this triumphal entry. You see, for me, I believe the second coming of Christ is when all those other things will take place. We will be his royal procession. And in fact, this was the common view of the church until the 19th century when things started to change and people started to, to look at things a different way. So this passage isn't talking about the removal of a church before a tribulation. He's speaking specifically to those who have fallen asleep. He's giving comfort. All of this takes place. The dead will be raised. The bodies will be changed when Christ comes back. And we will meet him in the air. Now while all that stuff is interesting and fun to talk about, those topics are not the point of the passage. In fact, the reason why we miss the point of the passage is usually because we're debating about how it's all going to work out. But what does Paul tell us to do with this passage? Here's why I wrote it, verse 18. Verse 18 is not up there. I apologize. It says this, Therefore, encourage each other, encourage one another with these words. The whole point of this passage is for pastoral saying, Listen, you've lost someone. I know. You'll see him again in Christ. They knew Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, you will see them again. So be encouraged. This Christmas season, when you think about the loss of your loved one, Paul would say, if they were in Jesus Christ, you will see them again. That's how we use these. We use these to remind people and strengthen people that your family member or friend who died in Christ, you will see again. N.T. Wright says this, he says, we must remind ourselves yet once more that all Christian language about the future is a set of signposts pointing into a mist. And I love that. His point is this. All of these events are pointing to and these signposts and these ideas of the resurrection and Christ coming back, they point us to what's going to happen, but it's like a mist or it's like a fog. We don't exactly know what it looks like. It's pointing in that direction. We just don't know exactly what's going to happen. Understanding these are not the primary issues, but understanding we can agree on this, I believe. Here's what N.T. Wright says. He says, the reality to which it refers is this. Jesus will be personally present. The dead will be raised and the living Christians will be transformed. That we shall now see is pretty much what the rest of the New Testament says as well. So listen, we can agree on this. Christ is coming back. The dead in Christ will be raised and those who are still here alive when he comes back will be transformed to be with him. We will join Christ on his royal return. You see, our hope in what God will do is grounded in what he has done. And death is just the believer's final transformation as we prepare to meet the Lord. So bringing all this together, this life can be incredibly difficult, hard, and challenging and hope. And death is something that will not escape any of us unless we're here when Christ returns. But we can have hope. Our hope is rooted in what God has done. Knowing what he has done, knowing what we believe he will do in the future. 
You see, God created us from the dust of the ground. Therefore, we know he can recreate and resurrect our bodies in the future. Creation isn't a problem for him. God announced that the Messiah would come to rescue his people. And during this season, we celebrate the fact that Jesus did come to us as a little babe, Advent. He came. That's a historical fact. Therefore, we believe he's coming back again. So because he came, we believe he's coming back again. And Jesus predicted his own death and resurrection and actually pulled it off. All of his followers believed this, and many of them died for that very message, that Jesus is returning. The center um, piece of our faith is this resurrection. Therefore, we believe that we too will be resurrected because of our faith in Jesus Christ. And so God wants us to live in hope in light of that fact of the resurrection. So this holiday season, as you're reminded of those who aren't here, be reminded of the great Christian hope of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I know you'll miss them. I miss my nanny. But I'll see her again. That's my hope in Jesus Christ. Because Jesus... He's coming back. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, this morning we are reminded and encouraged of the hope of the resurrection. We're reminded that our hope is grounded in the past, the things we know you've already done. And Father, help us live with hope this season. Let us be encouraged as we gather with our family and friends. Let us be encouraged and reminded that those who are not with us We will see again one day in Christ Jesus. And we trust that Jesus can make this happen. Father, help us spread your hope. Encourage us to share our faith. Please give us the boldness we need to speak to others about Jesus Christ. Please help us explain to our family and friend our hope and our relationship with you. So, Father, they can be encouraged and have hope when we do leave this earth. Father, give us this urgency that you could come back at any moment. Help us kindle that fire and live as if you could return at any moment to gather your people for that royal procession. Father, we pray, come, Lord Jesus, come. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray.